Hello friends, welcome to The Birth Zone. I have a really special episode for you today with a guest. Her name is Christina, and she's from a surrogacy agency called Conceive Abilities. Conceive Abilities. Um, and she has her own surrogacy story of carrying um, a baby for parents. She actually did this three separate times. So in just a couple of minutes, we're gonna hear from her. She has an incredible story to share. If you are interested in learning more, go to conceivabilities.com slash jasmine, J-A-S-M-I-N-E. I'm adding a real quick note here in post-production editing that I had that link wrong the first take. So the correct link is actually share.conceivabilities.com slash jasmine, share.conceivabilities.com slash jasmine. The link is in the uh, show notes from today's show as well. So welcome, whether you're listening to our Birth Zone podcast or the Birth Zone on YouTube. I'm so glad that you're with us. My name is Jasmine Sasek. I am a doula and childbirth educator at the Birth Zone. Um, I work with a number of other doulas to provide in-person labor support services in the Chicago and Milwaukee areas. And then we also do all kinds of other fun classes and things throughout the whole country, world, wherever you can reach Zoom, basically. Um, for that information, just go to thebirthzone.com. So with no further ado, here is my interview with Christina. So if you don't mind, would you tell me a little bit about like how many times you've been a surrogate, what it means to be a surrogate, and kind of what got you into the surrogacy world? So I've been a surrogate three times, a gestational care, which is, I feel like, the most, most common form of surrogacy. Um, I was the oven, none of my genetics were used. You know, I carried the embryo that was made with either an egg donor or um, an intended mother's egg and an intended father's sperm. But like I said, I've done this three times. My first journey when I first applied to become a surrogate was back in 2010. Um, my son had a classmate whose mom was a surrogate. And we met up one day at a pool, or I think we're maybe doing room mom, you know, room, being room parents for a, a class party. And it was the first time I met. I mean, of course, I knew what a surrogate was, but it was the, my, an opportunity to actually speak to one, to ask questions firsthand. Um, at that time, like I said, it was 2010, and I had been a labor and delivery nurse from about 2006 up until about two years ago. So I love all things baby. You know, my family was complete, but it was just wonderful to be able to talk to her, to ask questions. You know, I really, even though working in labor, I didn't know anything, a whole lot about IVF. So to hear a lot about the process, like I asked her how she applied, how did she become a surrogate? And um, while I, Certain things she said, I knew I didn't probably want to go with her agency, but I did some looking around, which brought me to conceivabilities, applied with them. And yeah, um, in 2011, I delivered a little boy for my first family, loved it. In fact, before I even delivered, I knew I wanted to do it again. <laughs> I was telling the staff at conceivabilities, I'm like, you have to let me do this again, you know. Um, so I delivered. What, what was it that you loved about it that made you know you wanted to do it again? You know, I've always been drawn to reproduction. I mean, the whole how even that an embryo can be frozen for years and then taken, you know, thawed and life just, you know, heart starts beating. I've just been really 
enthused by that. And I've always said, like, I feel like being a surrogate comes easy. You know, if I'm working a job, you're kind you you make a effort towards everything you do. But for me, pregnancy comes easy and I just go about my day, whether go about my work day, go about my day as a wife, as a mother, um, while my body takes care of the growing a baby. So um, it was just an honor. I feel like, you know, I may not be a president of the United States. I may, I'm not always sure how I'm going to leave my mark in this world, but all these years later, I've been able to give something to a family that had no other way. You know, they wanted a biological child of their own and there's nothing wrong with adoption. But for those that, you know, want to create a family of, of their own, but don't have the means to carry it, whether a woman can't or for two men, they obviously would need a carrier. Um, so like I said, it's something that comes easy to me. And if the rules were reversed, I would hope someone would do it. Yeah. Had you always, had you thought about surrogacy before you met that other mom or who, who had done it or was this a brand new idea? You know, I had heard about, I, you know, I knew what one is. If you would ask me in 2009, what is a surrogate? I would have told you somebody who carries a baby for somebody else. But back then, meeting her made it real, made me realize it's not just a word. It, it's going on out there. And I can tell you in the 11 years since my first surrogacy, it's crazy how much more common it is. You know, there's celebrities, even back in 2010, not a lot of states, There, you know, I don't know the exact number, but um, not all states were surrogate friendly, okay. meaning not all states were conducive to compensated surrogacy or there was just a lot of laws. Now there's very few states that are not surrogate friendly. I think Louisiana and Michigan are two of them, but almost all states, it's quite easy to be a gestational carrier. And so that shows you too where the movement's going. And can okay. I ask, how many kids of your own had you had before you did surrogacy? I had two children of my own. I had a okay. daughter and a son. And pretty much to become a surrogate, you really need to have given birth before and be raising a child of your own. That's pretty much a requirement across the board. Um, obviously, by giving birth, it shows your body's capability. You know, some people, maybe one delivery, one pregnancy doesn't go well. So the requirement of having had a child before, have given birth, and then be raising it. And I'm sure the be raised, the fact that they want you to be raising a child of your own is more for the mental health. I would imagine, yeah, the, the emotional part of it, right? Correct. Okay. Right. And so you have you did your first, and then you went on to do to carry two more babies. Two more. Is that true? Okay. Yeah. And I was older. So when I, older for a surrogates. When, when I did my first surrogacy, I wasn't in my 20s. So that kind of put a little bit more urgency um, into my situation. I knew I couldn't be like, oh, I'll wait two years and do it again. Um, so that's why I, I actually did pump, um, provide breast milk to three. But as soon as I stopped that, I would get ready for, to help a different family. So that was my next question. Those were all three different families that you helped with those pregnancies? Yeah. Um, first family was in Boulder. I'm here in Chicago. Um, second family is in Chicago. And then um, the third family, when I wanted to help it, when I had mentioned to my husband, I just want to do this one last time. It's something that's going well, you know, that's easy for me. I just want to give, make one more family complete. 
Um, and he asked, mentioned that I should do it for two men. Um, so I had let conceivabilities know that. And my third set of intended parents were two men who live in Spain. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, you've done this all over the place then. Yeah. Um, how did your husband and your kids, your family feel about this whole process? Um, you know, my children, when I did my first journey, were seven and 15. But growing up, like many times, I've taken them with me to donate blood. Or like if we dropped off donations at Goodwill, like I've always kind of... I've raised my children with an awareness of, let's always be mindful of others. Um, you know, my son was the youngest. Again, he was seven years old when I did this the first time. And I think knowing that Christian's mom did it, you know, he would play at Christian's house. And after Christian's mom delivered those twin boys, my son saw there, there wasn't extra babies in the house. So it didn't even really have he to He had a frame of reference that. to make yes. some sense of it. Okay. Correct. I think, you know, just the whole, let's always think of others. And, you know, they were old enough to understand, you know, I'm going to help somebody in, because they can't do this for themselves or they need someone like me. So I'm going to help them. And it's, you know, the baby's not going to look like you. It's, you know, not tied to me or dad. So I think my husband always knows. I never came up with a bad idea. So I'm, it's hard to say no when you want to help somebody else. But I also acknowledge you know, and realize there's some um, partners that may not always feel the same about their partner wanting to do something like this, so. Okay, okay. Um, and then tell me a little bit about the matching process. Does the agency assign you a family? Do they pick you? Do you pick them? What's that process like? Um, so all three of my um, surrogacies were through the same agency, were through conceivabilities. I mean, like I said, I didn't really know a whole lot about them, but they have what they call like a matching matters protocol. By the time they screen a surrogate, they really do know the surrogate really well. They know their in, the intended parents that retain them equally as well. So um, once a surrogate is fully screened, they have a pretty good sense for what surrogate and what intended parents might blend well together. Of course, there was a match meeting, um, but they want the surrogate, they want both parties to have the same type of relationship or lack of relationship, um, the same connection to with each other during, you know, prior to pregnancy, during a pregnancy and after. So they really do make sure that the surrogates and intended parents views mesh on so many things. And really in a match meeting, they conduct a match meeting. So before I ever went to a fertility clinic, I had a chance to meet them, my husband and I, you know, had a chance to meet with the intended parents and they asked great questions. So I, we really had a really good sense of what they were expecting. You know, did they want to come to appointments? Did they not, you know, after that child's born, do, what, what do they foresee? I know for all three families, I was like, well, I hope, I'd love to get a Christmas card every year. I'm a people person. I was really hoping I got more pictures and connection than that. And I did, but, um, oh, I, a good agency is really going to do their due diligence for both parties. But I, I also don't know that all agencies do, unfortunately. Okay. So, so you got to have meet with them and then you could have turned down that couple if you, if you chose not, if you had, a, yes. if you felt like it wasn't a good fit, right? Okay. Oh, yes. And they give both parties, you know, both okay. parties a chance after that meeting to get back to them. It's not, 
in front of each other. Like, yes, we plan to move forward. You, you know, <laughs> after the fact, you get a day or two. That would be awkward, right? Okay. But yes. Mostly. And then was, so that those meetings, I mean, you did this for a couple in Spain and in Colorado, like were those meetings done on Zoom or online somehow or in person? How is that done? Uh, three of them, even the local one, they were done via video. Um, just, and I'm sure a lot of that is tied to that. I know there's some that occurred in person, especially pre-COVID. Right. Um, Everything has changed so much. Yes. <laughs> COVID's made a lot happen via video, but understandably trying to get a surrogate possible partner, if she has one, <clears throat> um, someone from conceivabilities and the intended parents to agree on a time, at a location where everyone's, so they usually happen during, you know, via video. Okay. But not all the time. Okay. So you agree to the match and then what happens next? What are the, some of the next steps then? When both so sides agree. After we decided to um, move forward with each other, my, all my medical records, so my prenatal rec records for my pregnancies, my delivery records from my deliveries were sent to the intended parents fertility clinic so that they can review everything as well. And so, okay, yes, the medical history looks conducive to doing this. She doesn't have a lot of risks. Um, and once the fertility clinic receives the surrogate's records, they usually will schedule what is called a medical workup. And most often a surrogate, many times the partner too, will go to the intended parents fertility clinic, they'll have blood drawn, um, urine, urine testing, and for most, mostly for um, communicable type things, hepatitis, HIV, things that could be exchanged in a process like this. Okay. Um, a pap smear, ultrasounds, it's like a couple hour appointment. And then after that, you, most of the time, uh, it goes completely well, no surprises, of course, because all the medical records were obtained. So then a surrogate's provided with a lawyer that's very well versed in third party reproductive reproduction laws. So um, the lawyer that was provided to me, the intended parents and their lawyer, you know, together we come up with a legal contract that's usually quite lengthy, but it covers everything. It even covers if the intended parent were to have something unfortunate happen to them, who they've, you know, chosen to raise the child, but it dictates everything to termination, reduction, you know, maybe an intended parent has strong thoughts on, on, about a diet or an intake, you know, surrogates, caffeine intake, that sometimes can end up in a legal agreement. But the two, both lawyers will make sure that the surrogate and the intended parent are very comfortable with that legal contract. So that contract is to try to iron out ahead of time any decisions that need to be made or maintained during like that pregnancy and labor time, correct? Exactly, yes. So that you're not negotiating those things. Yes, it'll usually... That you know, it'll elaborate to payments, how, how they're handled. It's everything from financial to, yes. Okay. And you then know, you like, use, um, you mentioned that it's the intended parents. Um, um, sorry, I'm stumbling on my words here. The um, fertility clinic, you use the intended parents fertility clinic, correct? Is correct. that local to you or is it local to the intended parents? It could be either. Okay. And it could be separate. 
Um, if the intended parent's fertility clinic isn't local to a surrogate, a surrogate typically will only go there twice for the medical workup and then months later for the embryo transfer. However, in the month prior to an embryo transfer and in the month after, there's numerous appointments for ultrasounds for blood work to make sure that the, the surrogate's blood work and estrogen and other levels are where they need them to be. That'll be set, is set up with a third-party monitoring site, so maybe a fertility clinic close to the surrogate because it doesn't make sense for that surrogate to be going uh, yeah. fine state, for instance, right. if the <laughs> clinic isn't local. So then I'm curious, if you don't mind sharing, for yours that were out of state and out of the country, did you do did you do things locally? I mean, I, I understand that in between, but did you do both of those two locally, or did you fly for those? So my first intended parents were in Boulder, Colorado. Their fertility clinic was in Colorado. So I flew out for the medical workup and the embryo transfer, and I had um, my ultrasounds and blood work done here local. My second intended parents <clears throat> initially were using a fertility clinic here in Chicago, um, but then um, ended up switching to a, the same fertility clinic out in Colorado. So I oh, had wow. downtown, yes. That's interesting. Do you, why did they, do you know why they switched? I, I don't know if a little bit was how the embryos or the how the um, they just the success rates at this other clinic were higher. Okay, and um, I think they just you know had started to become really well acquainted with the reproductive endocrinologist reproductive endocrinologist out in Colorado and decided you know what we're gonna move have all the embryos and you and you had worked with that. And I had already worked with them, so I, and you'd I was gotten. so impressed with them. Yeah, I had no qualms at all. I was like, all right, you know, and I would have went to the ends of the earth for those that family. So what? it didn't matter to me. I wanted them to do what they felt was comfortable. And they, you know, having met and become real familiar with this other reproductive endocrinologist, chose to switch clinics. Okay. Um, my third surrogacy did use a clinic in Chicago, one that I had not worked with prior Um and so, yeah, I did all my monitoring and stuff that, with that Chicago clinic. Okay. And then the once, one, what's, the, what's the procedure like when they do the implantation? Or I'm sorry, what did you call that? The embryonic, you called uh, it something. The embryo transfer. Embryo transfer. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> what, what's that procedure like when they do the embryo transfer? What's that like on your side of things? And a surrogate side of things, yeah, no different than a pap smear. Oh, um, wow. I've often told so many people, honestly, if they didn't tell you what they were doing from the patient perspective, you would think they were doing a pap smear. It is non-invasive. The experience is much different, except oftentimes an incubator comes in that's got the Petri dish with the embryo in it. There's I've seen in many of the clinics, there's a monitoring screen. So I literally would see like an incubator come into the room minutes before the embryo transfer. And on the monitor, I could see that embryo, perhaps it was starting to expand out of its, you know, starting what they call hatch as, as an embryo, the cells multiply. So it was really cool. But patient-wise, I mean, you, there's no pain to it. It is very quick. 
That's fascinating. I um, donated eggs a couple of times and- A different game, right? <laughs> yeah, that was a very intense procedure. You know, the whole process was very intense. And then them harvesting the eggs was very, you know, I had to go yeah. under anesthesia. And so I had no idea that they could do that. So- yeah. So different than egg donation, so different. Easy breezy, what you went through is different. Yeah. Yes, but then I didn't have to carry a whole pregnancy and deliver a baby. So yeah, egg donor, the egg donation, their egg retrieval is a lot shorter of a process. But yeah, from that on that day, the experience that and that kind of blew my mind. You know, to me, yeah. I'm like, transferring an embryo, surely this should be complex and not at all. Wow. Okay. So after the embryo transfer and finding out that you're pregnant. Tell us a little bit about how the rest of the pregnancy goes as far as medical care, medical decisions, and just contact with the intended parents. And um, so for me, with all three families, we had pretty open contact. Um, I would say all three families, although at various times, might've came to an appointment or if I had a high risk appointment, you know, just because it was a surrogate pregnancy. Um, <clears throat> In instances where intended parents weren't uh, at an appointment, you know, oftentimes I'd get to the parking lot. I would, you know, many of the doctors were great. They'd let me record the heartbeat when they were using the Doppler to find it. So, you know, I'd always provide that update. Oh, oh I bet they love that. Growing yeah. on track, you know, they want, they offered me this genetic test. Do you want it done? It wasn't my decision to make. So, and most, in all the instances too, the intended parents could reach out to that OB office at any time if they had questions, you know. Okay. Everything's kind of set up in terms of medical release. So there's that exchange of information. But yeah, if they weren't there, a lot of sharing, especially after appointments, which is nice. Okay. For them. Yeah. And so then if, did you ever have a thing, any situations where any? medical kind of decisions came up that were uncharted territory or that you had to chat with the intended parents about or were things pretty smooth sailing in your cases? Um, in my cases, they were pretty smooth sailing. You know, I, I would, if it was a special test, I, you know, would defer to them. Do you want it done? All three of my pregnancies were pretty boring, pretty uneventful. The last one I did deliver a little early, so there were some um, unexpected, you know, things in terms of appointments or in terms of the delivery time and delivery scenario. Um, but that I was always, I always had somebody, a match manager that was in working with me and the intended parent. Okay. Um, so they helped navigate all that kind of stuff. In fact, the match manager and conceivabilities were always many steps ahead of us, knowing what was coming next and setting up for that, you know, prior to delivery day, they spoke to the hospital to make sure that parents would have a postpartum room. So yeah, it was, we right. had a connection all three times where I could really share. And if not, or if something was going on a little bit more urgently, I could always reach out to conceivabilities to speak to the parent. Okay. And then what, when it comes time for labor and delivery, did the intended parents choose the hospital, the birth location? What goes on with all of that situation? So um, being in a pretty, um, I'm just outside of Chicago, so I'm in the suburb. And um, as I mentioned earlier, I was a labor nurse. So I was pretty certain I would be delivering 
my surrogate pregnancy at the hospital that I worked at. My son was born there many years prior. So they would, um, came to the delivery in, for all of them, except for the, so my first one, the intended parents were in a room. It was a singleton, mom, dad, and the, the mom and the dad, and my husband were in the delivery room. For my second pregnancy, it was twins, so I did deliver an OR, and just in case I needed a C-section, but I did not need a C-section. And for that, they I took my, my husband came with, because of course, he's the support person I was most comfortable with. And the intended parents were allowed to come with. The, de the intended father wasn't sure how he'd feel about being in there, so the intended mother came and saw both of her children be born. Okay. And then in the last scenario, again, it was twins. I thought it was going to be another uh, vaginal birth, but because it ex happened a little earlier, the intended fathers were not here in Chicago at the time. Okay. And um, then who care in that situation where they're not in Chicago yet, I assume they probably came as soon as they could and maybe the babies needed to be in the NICU a bit or, but did... Is there, is there any parenting or care that you do of the, of the newborns then once they're born? They, in the last instance, they did spend a short bit of time um, in the NICU. So the care was provided there. But of course, you know, they were very open to me being able to, to you know, I saw them when they were born. Um, I did provide milk. So, you know, I was always visiting with the intended parents providing that. Okay. Yeah, and the other two instances, the parents were present for the delivery, so. And you, did you pump to provide the milk? For all three families, yes. Okay. And that's obviously, I assume that's probably the, I mean, a, a joint decision, I guess, but whether or not the intended parents want that is up to them, and then whether or not you as the, as the carrier want to provide that service, yeah. probably, right? Okay. One, yeah, 100%. It's, that's something that was talked about early on and, you know, having worked in the field and knowing the benefits, um, I was willing to do it. And in all three instances, the parents were interested in receiving it, you know, feeding it to their child or children. So yeah, but that is something that's discussed early on. And there's thanks to, you know, social media, there's milk banks. So even in an instance where surrogates like, oh, I've done it for my own children, but the intended parents don't want it this time. Many, many surrogates are well aware of ways that they can donate. Yeah, absolutely. So, People do that all the time amongst yes. themselves. Okay. And then pain relief during labor. Do you Is that spelled out in that contract? Do you get to decide that? Who gets to decide? Like if you decide you want um, some IV pain medication or an epidural, how are those sorts of decisions worked out? The vast, vast, vast majority of the time, an intended parent is already so thankful for the, you know, the act that, of their surrogate. They, they want to see their surrogate comfortable. Most intended parents don't really dictate or have much thought say into that. They trust the surrogate. They trust the surrogate's OB. So whatever the, the surrogate feels she needs, whatever the OB is um, recommending. I did have epidurals with both twin deliveries. My first intended mother, um, she had a child of her own and after that pregnancy wasn't able to carry again. And I think she, there was some question in her mind if her um, oldest child's delivery would have been different had she not had an epidural. Mm -hmm. So she preferred that I didn't, but 
ultimately wasn't telling you can't. Um, and with my son, my son years prior, I always thought, wow, it'd be kind of neat. I don't know why, but I thought it'd be kind of neat to try to do it without pain meds. And in my son's case, I got an epidural about an hour or two before he was born. So I told her, you know, I'd love to try, but I'm not going to promise. In the end, she got her wish. Wow. Her, her son was my only unmedicated delivery. Um, so out of my five dollars in total, he was the only unmedicated one. And she got her wish. And honestly, it made me realize what I was capable of. So giving her her wish, although there was never a guarantee, just made me feel, it showed me the power I have and what I can do when I set my mind to it. So it was, I kind of received something back in return that meant something only to me. That's you know, awesome. There was never a promise. <laughs> I love that. And I'm sure people throw around the word sacrifice all the time. But to me, that's the same. It's like, oh my gosh, especially if you haven't done a, an unmedicated birth before with, with your own children to do it for somebody else is like, that's the sacrifice right there. Yeah. <laughs> but that's awesome. I'm glad that you're her little guy came into the world. I mean, he wasn't super quick, but he didn't draw it out over a day. If it was over a day, I'm sure. I'm like, nope, you're losing. You're not getting that wish. Right. But, yeah. but it's, and it sounds like open communication and honesty was really the key there, particularly yes. in that situation where she was open and honest that she would prefer if you could do it that way. But, you know, you said, I'll try, but <laughs> no guarantees, which yeah. is birth in general, right? Yes. Um, she had shared that from the beginning. Like I said, that's something I always knew, you know? So, I mean, although I knew about it for many months, I stopped thinking about it because it wasn't something that was really impacting much of the process. But. Okay. And do you have any idea if somebody wanted to do a home birth or a birth center, something kind of non-traditional, would that be allowed? Would it be a matter of matching with intended parents who were supportive of that? Any idea? With regards to surrogacy, home births are exceptionally, exceptionally rare. Okay. Um, and mostly for the, you know, it, I, while a surrogate typically has a pretty unremarkable history, it's always reassuring to know that if a baby doesn't tolerate labor, we're not, no one's ever, you know, no delivery is ever guaranteed to go smoothly. It's a lot more reassuring to know that an OR room or an OR suite is down the hospital or down the hallway or on a different floor of the hospital than to be at home and, and a baby not all of a sudden tolerate labor and you're talking in ambulance and transport to the hospital. So. Well, and I imagine, especially for intended parents in this process, who've probably already been through a lot medically themselves. Yeah. That extra piece yeah. I know for my doula clients, I find that that's much more common with um, wanting to mitigate those risks with my clients who've been through IVF and gone through so much more medically. It's um, they want that peace of mind. So that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um. When the baby's born, is are they put on your chest, the the mom's chest? What's what's it like in that moment when the baby is or babies are born? You know, it's neat. It's it, as neat as it is. It's almost kind of a blur. Though for those first two deliveries, the baby was placed on my abdomen, but more very short term, so the parent could cut the cord both of the first two families, mom had, you know, was 
sitting almost right next to me in a chair with a gown so that as soon as the cord was, was cut, she could do skin to skin with the baby. Okay. Um, you know, emotions are typically really high. It's just a very happy moment, you know, lots of tears shed, you know, so the first two families, so I did get skin to skin. And although it was placed briefly on me, the handoff is straight to the parents. Yeah. So then that going forward, golden hour and continued skin to skin is done with the parents. Okay. And emotionally, what's that all? I mean, you said it's a bit of a blur, but what's that whole process like? I mean, not even just in that moment, but going forward, what, what does that feel like for you emotionally? Um, for me, and I've had people ask that, um, definitely in a half, I think during all three of my hospital stays, I wasn't really emotional, you know, or I was, you know, emotional to a pump because getting the milk started, you know, sometimes can be a little challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I wouldn't even say emotional, it was just more like, is this enough? You know, you expect to do gallons after, <laughs> right after you deliver, um, both in all three situations, the in- well, the, the second family lived downtown, but the first and third family weren't from Illinois. They did hang, stay in Illinois for a couple weeks before they left. It was one last opportunity. I obviously saw them a couple times while they were in the area. And then before they went back home, I would see them again. And I am a people person. I'm not going to lie. I stink at all types of goodbyes. So it was hard to say goodbye. Um, but I never had the feeling of they're taking something of mine. And that was never the thought. My tears of sadness were more related to, I just did, gave somebody the best gift there is, the biggest gift there is, or I just spent the last year, the last 15 months of my life, and it was surrogacy, 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 and now it's gone. You just kind of you know, the big chunk of my life is gone. And I'm like, what next? Which maybe explains why I kept having another surrogacy next. You know, I'm like, oh, we'll just do that again. I can relate to that personally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, what else do you think are some of the most important things for people to know if they're considering doing um, surrogacy? I would definitely encourage there's still a lot of lack of information, not even miss, and maybe, and maybe some misinformation. Over the past decade, I've encountered women or spoke with women who think that if you've ever had a C-section, you can't become a surrogate. Not true. Um, so I would encourage anyone who's considering it to get more information, to ask questions, to reach out, um, to get those questions because so much of what a a woman may think would prohibit her is actually not something that disqualifies her from caring. You know, obviously someone who's had preeclampsia or maybe, you know, was a gestational diabetic on insulin throughout a pregnancy, something like that may disqualify, but definitely a lot of misinformation or just plain lack of information. Like I said, surrogacy is so much more common today than it was a decade ago, but I've said too over the years, I feel like some people look at me like I'm a unicorn. They're like, wow, I've never met a surrogate. I'm like, yeah, we, you know, it's, you know it, but. Or it's very possible they have, and they just didn't realize it, right? So true. Or met, met children from, you know, who, who were the result of surrogacy or parents without knowing, 
you know, there it's all around us. I find that I'm an adoptive parent and I find that with adoption, it's so much more prevalent than you'd think. Um, 100%. Talking to people, they tell you their stories. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any other last things that you want to share with us about this? Um, you know, other than I'm, I'm just a big advocate, you know, advocate for surrogacy. There's always has been more intended parents than there have been surrogates. Um, that's, you know, throughout the years, agency to agency. So it's a great way to show, teach children. I don't think there's a better lesson you can show in selflessness to teach a child, you know, for a surrogate to teach their own child. So um, we'd so encourage people to reach out for, for information, to consider it. But of course, you know, you, there are requirements to becoming a surrogate as well. So they, you know, you need to have a supportive partner and be in a spot in your, or a place in your life where you've got the time and the commitment to do something like this. Sure, it's a huge it is, it is undertaking. A great gift and a wonderful experience. <laughs> and to put you on the spot, do you think you'll do it again? <laughs> I'm too old, or I would. <laughs> I, I've often said that, oh yeah, good thing I didn't find this in my 20s because I'd probably have like a zillion zero, zero babies, zero children out there. I would, I would 100% hands down do this, can continue to do it if I could. Is there a hard and fast like upper age limit for it or is it kind of dependent on situations? Um, so most commonly in the world of surrogacy, in terms of an age bracket, you see 21 to 40. I'm pretty well aware there's many fertility clinics across the United States that will work with surrogates up to about the age of 45, given they've had recent deliveries. And again, have that okay. uncomplicated history. Yeah, that's a pretty wide age range. Okay, yeah. interesting. Oh, for sure. And just for our, for our listeners, and um, because this is a birthy kind of podcast. Do you mind sharing, especially for that one birth that you did unmedicated, like how did you, especially like for most people, it's knowing they're getting their baby to take home at the end that gets them through that. So any tips of what, or anything you recall from that, that labor that got you through, that got you through without getting an epidural? <laughs> what, what, what did you do? What's your magic bullet? <laughs> You know, and that's an interesting, so that, that for that particular history, um, that my, I was induced the night before with um, Cervidil, which isn't Pitocin, it's just something that hopefully makes the cervix and uterus more willing to, right. to get into the labor ball game. Um, but I had a friend who was a, was a photographer, had, you know, had done been a birth photographer before so she a very dear friend she did come with me the night of the induction my husband stayed back with my son I knew it was gonna or I suspected it was gonna be a pretty boring night right um, nothing was gonna happen I wasn't gonna be contracting away or miserable or delivering overnight so she came with me um and then early the next morning I think my husband was planning to get there at five or six in the morning since they were gonna start Pitocin the plan was to start Pitocin in the morning but as I got up to go to the washroom, my water broke. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah. So my, my girlfriend and I, you know, she knew at that point, or suspected at that point that delivery was missing. My husband came and it went fast. And again, I worked 
my labor nurses were colleagues. My OB was somebody who I probably had done the delivery, you know, been his nurse in a, for a different patient in a room than right. before. Um, I remember, you know, after my water broke, they checked me and my the nurse slash colleagues like, well, you're three, but you're really stretchy. And I'm like, three's not 10. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I got a way to go yet. <laughs> um, but I got more and more uncomfortable probably within an hour. You know, I, that just got, and they're like, you're five, you're seven. And you know, the head's lower. So I think between my, you know, coworkers, and they had known, I had talked about, like, I'm going to try to do without, but I think with their encouragement, um, and that was last, probably half, the last half an hour before delivery, you know, I know I was probably squeezing my hand, my husband's hand a whole lot. The intended mother was, where can I rub? Where do you need pressure? Where can I give counter pressure? So okay. it was just everyone's, it was, you know, I had a good cheering section, pep section for me that day. And a little bit of a group effort as much as it can be, right? <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I, I didn't do it all. I'm going to tell you the intended mother, thank you for the pressure, <laughs> you know. I don't get all the credit for that. It was 100% a group effort that day, but. All right, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit about that birth story. That's wonderful to hear. And so you've, you've carried a total of seven babies, correct? Correct. Wow, okay, well, I'm sure that those parents and those families are so grateful for what you've done. And I'm really grateful that you took the time to sit down with me today and answer some questions. Um, as, as, you, as you know, there's so much misinformation and questions that people have. So it's always a fun, this is a fun topic to sort of demystify for all of us. And I certainly learned a lot. I appreciate it. It was great speaking with you as well. Wasn't that just fascinating? Oh my gosh. I think that I could ask her questions all day long about that experience. I know that being a surrogate was something I was always really interested in personally. Um, at this stage in my life, I'm no longer eligible, but you might be. So I encourage you to go check it out at share.conceivabilities.com slash jasmine, J-A-S-M-I-N-E. That's share.conceivabilities.com slash jasmine. The link is in the notes and you, a lot of people are actually eligible to receive six, up to $650 just for like completing the first couple steps of finding out more about this. So if this is something that's ever been on your mind or on your heart, go check, take a look. Um, it does not hurt ever to get more information and find out more. I am a parent by, um, by birth, by foster care, by adoption, and I have donated eggs myself as well. So I am just all about um, helping families grow and thrive together through whatever means are appropriate for that family. Um, so if you're interested in surrogacy, go check out that link and uh, I hope you get all your questions answered.